Welcome to Back on the Grind, a podcast about life, music, people, and the stories that bring us closer. I'm your host, Pepe, and today I'm talking with Jesse Sendejas of Days and Days and Escape from the Zoo and his wife, Veronica, also of Escape from the Zoo. We sat down to have this conversation the day before they headed out on their first tour of 2024. We talk about relationships, relapse, and the X-Files. I'm grateful for Jesse and Veronica's willingness to be so open during this interview. We talked about some pretty personal topics. At one point, we discussed how difficult events can happen, and when they do, they can create a crack in your life. And then you have a choice. Do you run and hide, or do you turn and face that crack? If you found this part of the conversation interesting, I highly encourage you to check out the previous episode we released, episode number 19, entitled Finding Happiness in Our Broken Places with Mitchell Gray. It's one of my favorite episodes, and we take a much deeper dive into the choices you have to make when an event creates a crack in your life that you can't deny. If you like what you heard in today's episode, I really do think you'll enjoy the episode with Mitchell Gray. Thanks for checking out Back in the Grind as we bring you closer to Jesse and Veronica Sendejas. All right, Jesse, Veronica, thank you for making it on to the show. I'm glad to have you both here. Glad we finally got to sit down and chat. It's been some some time coming. Yeah, we'll definitely get into some of that. I thought it would be good to start off with talking about how the two of you met. As far as I'm aware, I know, Jesse, you're from Texas, and Veronica, you're originally from Washington. Is that right? Yeah. So how the two of you end up meeting? We met just in different bands, playing shows together, touring. I don't know the very first show we ever played together. It was Oak Harbor. I didn't play or anything. I was just at the show, and it was... They were a good time. I was back when Days and Days was always barefoot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Oak Harbor, Washington? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like a tiny little port town. We played this little bar. It was a good show. And was that, if I got my information right, nine years ago, maybe? You two have known each other for about nine years? Something like that. We've been together for 10 years. 10 years. Okay. Well, that's a long time. Third of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, me and my wife, we just got married less than a year ago, but we've been together for like 15 years. Yeah. It took a while for us to, to actually get married. Why rush into it, right? I don't know if you remember when we first connected after I got out of prison, that was, uh, some of the stuff that we were talking about our first conversation, I think it was largely about like relationships and marriage and then a, a bunch about um, getting to a healthy place. But, you know, Veronica, I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with Nick Lutzko? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I had the honor of meeting that gentleman and he was delightful. I'm not like, I wasn't familiar with him uh, until I started communicating with Jesse we were talking about our relationships and Jesse sent me this text. He included a link to a song by Nick Let's Go. It was a song sick. And he said, this dude put into words what I never could to my own wife. Jesse, what did you mean by that? I'm sure I was just feeling something that I couldn't express. That guy. There's few artists that I feel I can just pluck those those thoughts from the back of my brain and express them better than I can in the moment. But he's definitely, he's got a few that hit 
really close to home. And uh, I can't remember what it was exactly about that one, but I have to listen to it. Get back to you. <laughs> have you heard the Nick Jr. song? <laughs> no. Does, what is it? Mick Jr.? Nick, he wants a show on Nick Jr. He also uh -huh. does comedy music on YouTube that is amazing. Yeah, I wouldn't say the, the Nick Jr. song is one of those that I was just speaking of, but it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing I was curious to ask you both regarding relationships, and this is something that I noticed played out in my own. So often when there's something that needs attention or something that needs to be acknowledged, it's usually my wife who brings it to the attention in the relationship. I'm wondering if that's a dynamic that plays out with you folks at all. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the reason I ask that is I'm aware that it was you who initially proposed the idea or pushed for sobriety in the relationship. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And what was that like for you to be the one to kind of present that idea? It was really hard because I like drinking a lot, but it was definitely killing him. We had to pull back. Mm. Um, it was definitely hard to be the one to be like, this is it. We got to do this. Jesse, how'd you respond? Was that something you were like on board with from the get-go? I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, I can be pretty hard-headed, especially when I've got booze pulling me in one direction. I'm sure I was not very easy to deal with. It's taken a long, a long time and a lot of work and mistakes and backpedaling for me to get to a point where I ever want to be sober before I just had no desire to be clear headed at all whatsoever. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't a thousand percent on board at first. I mean, mm -hmm. I know I wasn't because we went on Fat Mike's podcast and talked about it and probably if not for Mike pushing me so hard to do it, you know, I'm, I don't know if we ever would have went to rehab really. So shout out to Mike for that one. Thanks for getting my stubborn ass where it needed to be <laughs> when it needed to be there. When I was locked up, I was able to get access to music and I was listening to no effects in there, uh, which was awesome for me. It was, I was listening to punk and Drublick, which was such a it was difficult to listen to at times just remembering the past you know while i was locked up but veronica i think you mentioned at one point wasn't that like your first punk album that you got into yeah my brother went to warp tour when i was like 11 and he brought me back punk and drublet or he might have brought it back and i might have stole it but he definitely allowed it to happen I'm not mm. quite sure the <laughs> details are a little fuzzy but yeah he uh he got me into punk initially. He also listened to like Blink-182 and all that, but No Effects was my first like rowdy, super punk band. <laughs> was there a band like that for you, Jesse, that you can recall that kind of brought you into the world of punk? I mean, my parents bought me up on like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and all the, you know, the staples. Since I can remember, I've been surrounded by by the punk stuff. I guess like when I was really young, like 12 or 13, I got really into some 41. That was probably the first punk band that I found on my own and 
and went out of my way to listen to. So the two of you went to rehab to try and enter into sobriety. Jesse, I heard at some point you mentioned you did EDMR in there. Mm -hmm. What was that like? It's interesting. A big part of it is just starting with a thought and then kind of just seeing where that thought leads and then just following the natural progression of an idea or a feeling. Combined with hypnosis. I did it too. Is there like eye movement involved in that, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they do the finger back and forth and it does something the repetition of it accesses memories and stuff that you don't want to think about and they kind of guide you through processing them Mm -hmm. just allowing your brain to like reach the natural the in the end point of a thought by itself without you nudging it in any specific direction and you found that that made it easier to actually do that? Like if you weren't doing the EDMR, like, you know, and you were just trying to access something like that on your own, it would have been more difficult, you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I try not to sit with my thoughts too much because it's, they're not all great. And it's a pretty anxious place for me to sit. But to have somebody there kind of guiding me a little bit, keeping me on track, I think it, it helped to not deviate from where those thoughts are going or or to not block stuff out because if I'm by myself I don't want to think about that stuff so I kind of avoid the scary thoughts and just go towards the more comforting ones but to have somebody there reeling you along reminding you to to push through to where you need to get definitely helps and were the two of you at the same place during this experience with the same person what was that like, like going through that together? It's a rehab in general. It was kind of beautiful. We were lucky enough to go by the ocean. And we were in a house with some really cool people. Uh, Music Cares helped us go to rehab. Shout out to them. What do you mean they helped you go? They financed it. They paid for it. Mm-hmm. It's an organization. Okay. Where are they based out of? I'm not sure. Um, it's an, it's like a huge network all over the country, and they get people into rehab um, and get them to see doctors. It's for artists because we don't have insurance for the <laughs> we largely don't have insurance. Yeah, I might have actually helped someone get it connected with them. My friend, uh, rapper Paulie Fink, actually, nice. he was living. Yeah, he was living with me in Connecticut, and. He was sober for a while, then he he ended up getting into a rough spot. That was a that was a difficult moment for my wife and I because he was living with us and we were just, you know, we realized we weren't helping and we were essentially enabling the situation. And we had to sit him down and talk to him and, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And we actually ended up paying to fly him out to Texas. And it might have been for this organization because he had no insurance and we flew him out to Austin. And I know there, if you were a musician, they were able to help you get into like a rehab and, and, and pay for that stuff. So I'm wondering, it might have been the same organization at the time. That it was. Do you know Paul, I think, at all? Yeah. I th- my dad actually just picked him up from the airport like <laughs> a few weeks back. I took him wherever he needed to go in Houston. Yeah, we, we've known nice. him for a while. Uh, I love Paul. I, I want to have him on a podcast. He's had a crazy life. 
Like some of the stories for that dude has told me over the years, like I, it blows my mind. So after rehab, what did you notice? I mean, this might be an obvious question or maybe not, but did you notice benefits for the relationship once sobriety was a part of it? Absolutely. You say absolutely. So like, you know, you didn't really question that. What stands out? It's just easier to connect. There's no veil between you. There's way less bullshit or little spats and things. Everything's just clearer. You're on the same page. We had energy to do things outside, just like getting hammered and lying in bed, you know? Yeah, was, there's no negatives that I can think of. My follow-up question was, you know, was there, not necessarily negatives, but was there anything that was difficult? Was there any new challenges that were brought into the relationship after going to rehab? Staying on track at different times. And what do you mean different times? Like when one person backsteps and the other person doesn't, that creates a huge barrier in the relationship. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can see that playing out in general, even outside of addiction. You know, I never really struggled with addiction, nor did my wife, but we both been through some shit uh, together. Uh, my incarceration as well, like, was a big event for us. But yeah, it's hard when the relationship is in one place. It's kind of moving in a direction, and then someone either stops moving in that direction or moves in a completely different direction. It's, it's a very hard place to navigate at that point, how to move forward. Did you guys have any, like, was there something that helped when that happened? Communication. And it seems kind of cliche or cheesy. Everybody knows that open communication helps in a relationship, but making an effort to make sure we weren't, you know, sugarcoating stuff or Veronica mainly just <laughs> telling me, <laughs> you know, Keeping me on track helped a ton. You know, it is like, I guess it is cliche, like communication is key. It sounds like such a simple thing, but it's really not that simple. I shared this once before, and it's kind of a silly example. But as I mentioned, my wife and I were together for 15 years. And last year, you know, we were talking about like what it means when we go to bed. Because sometimes I'd be like, I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Or she'll say the same thing. And for me, I thought that meant one thing. And for her, she thought it meant another thing. So one person might mean, like, well, let's go lay down in bed and watch something for a little while. Or the other person might mean, well, let's go lay down in bed, turn out the lights and just go to bed. But it took me 15 years to understand, like, when we were going to bed, we both had a different expectation of what was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it caused a conflict. But it wasn't like, I mean, a fight or anything, but it was just neither of us were speaking up about the situation. And it's such a silly example, but the point is it took us 15 years to learn how to like go to bed because we didn't talk about it. Yeah, it is a very important aspect of relationship and and we kind of treat it like it's such a simple thing, but it is hard to express what you want, especially with larger topics of uh, like addiction. Mm-hmm. That's a really good example. I like that one. So Counting Cards, the Escape from the Zoo album. You know, I was thinking about it recently, actually in relation to Pat the Bunny. A few episodes back, we did this episode about Johnny Hobo and the Freight Trains. And we had a poll on the episode. 
of whether or not people felt that that project was good or bad. We had a couple different options. But anyways, and I'll, I'll get into that in a minute, actually. I can be curious what, what you folks think. But Counting Cards, the album, kind of reminded me of Bernie Earth Leave It Behind by WDU in a sense of not musically, but what was coming through lyrically. I remember when Pat put out uh, Burn the Earth, Leave It Behind. And I was happy because it was the first time in Pat's music you heard this desire for stepping away from addiction and wanting to have a different life. And I definitely hear that with uh, songs on Counting Cards. What's the song that comes to mind? Give me a second. I'm trying to think of the lyric. It's going to pop into my head. It's from Learning Curve. It's like you, you're a lost cause. You don't deserve love. Mm-hmm. Your list of failures you can never outrun, but ignore the voices. You're fucking worth it. <laughs> you're fucking worth it. Yes. <laughs> I love that song. So I'm just curious, like, lyrically, like, who's writing the lyrics? Is that both of you? Is that Jesse? Uh, except for Shit Show and uh, Jars of Fears was Elliot. Who plays guitar now? Also in We the Heathens and Doom Scroll. So yeah, I mentioned the the Johnny Hobo poll. So I uh, I'm assuming both of you are at least somewhat familiar with Johnny Hobo and Freight Trains, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So we we ran this poll that people were able to vote on. Here's the question: Johnny Hobo and Freight Trains was overall, and then you can pick good, bad. I'm too fucked up to care. <laughs> I'm too sober to listen. <laughs> I feel like I've been, I felt all of those things. <laughs> Can I choose all of the above? Actually, it's very fitting. I think all of the above is fitting. How about you, Jesse? I like the last one. I get that. I've, I think the older I get and trying to, the more I try and stay in like a specific kind of clear state of mind, I have learned that there's certain music that is kind of really dangerous for me. There's certain songs that I hear and sometimes my brain just goes back to like hellion days and it can throw me off track pretty quick. And a, a lot of those songs are like anthems from, you know, when we're slamming 30 cases of beer at 10 in the morning and shit like that. So I, I think I have, I'm, I'm stable enough now that I could enjoy it, you know, and, and be fine. But I do, that last one makes a lot of sense to me. And I bet it does to other folks too. Yeah, the the overall gist of that episode, and and we even I uh, talked to Pat about it as well. And as a standalone, I guess the general feel is like you know Johnny Hope on a freight trains was probably more harmful. But as a whole project of Pat's music, he was saying you know it shows there's value because it shows the trajectory mm-hmm. that he went on, you know, in his life story. I haven't shared this on a podcast yet, but we just ended the poll recently. So we have, I'm too sober to listen, 3% of people <laughs> picked that. I'm too fucked up to care, 2%. Mm. Bad, 2%. And good, 93%. <laughs> like I said, mostly we were speaking overall as a whole, all the projects of Pat, like how that fell into a place that gives credence to the story. Mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that it was only 2% was that I'm too fucked up to care. Yeah, I me really too. expected that to be higher. <laughs> So we were supposed to have this recording 
I forget what month, but you know, several months back. And we tried several times and it didn't happen. I remember, you know, we rescheduled, I think like three, four times and on your end, no one ever, ever showed up. And I remember being in the room with my wife saying, I hope everything's okay. And, you know, and we just speaking of Pat and I was like, man, this reminds me of Pat. Like when I was booking shows with Pat and he just stopped showing up, like he wasn't coming to the shows. And I was pretty concerned. I mean, I've been in around folks who struggled with addiction for quite some time now. Uh, a couple of days after that, you texted me, Jesse, and you said, hey, man, I'm sorry for being so flaky. I'm going to be straight with you. We relapsed hard, spent a week in bed, just shaking, trying not to die. I truly apologize. I feel awful. So there's two things I'd, I'd love to get into about this. One, obviously, what that experience was like. And then two, I do value the honesty there. I guess first, what was it like to just have that relapse happen after rehab? Obviously, relapse is never easy or ideal. And that's not what we were aiming for. It's just the end of last year was, it kind of just, everything that could go wrong did go wrong, you know, kind of deal. And then a big part of that was our dog, Tim, who I've had since we started Days and Days when I was 16, uh, was just on like a rapid decline. It's like a bad infection in his face. I knew he was seeing his way out and um, trying to be strong for him while knowing that I was losing him at the same time, just I, my brain couldn't handle it. I mean, I, he's, he was like 14, 16, 16. So it wasn't like it was sudden or anything. And I've been preparing for it as well as you can for something like that. Just playing over the scenario in my head over and over and over again, you know, what, what it's going to be like when he's gone, what is, you know, how, how are we going to adjust all the little logistical issues and stuff. And I think, I was dwelling on it so hard that it put me in a really terrible headspace. And uh, I tried to escape that headspace in a way that I knew had worked in the past. Not, you know, obviously solved anything, but I knew that booze is a pretty good way to numb yourself. So I uh, hopped on that train and everything kind of just spiraled really really quickly um and you know by the end of it i was in the hospital when he passed away so because i was trying to escape i guess i mean i escaped it to the fullest extent that i could and you know, i'll regret that forever i just wanted to be with him when he went but since i just couldn't couldn't handle it without a crutch no, I, I just had to, never really got to say <laughs> bye. Loss is, it's a hard thing. You know, it creates this crack in you, you know, like in your situation, you knew the loss was coming mm -hmm. and it seems like you just didn't want to deal with the crack that was created. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it took me most of my life to learn this lesson, and I still struggle with it. But when that crack happens, when your life is going one way and something and it changes that you know is going to make it go another way, 
I mean, you have the option to dive into that crack. Mm. And that's been hard for me to do. I mean, I did it. I did it when I was locked up instead of turning and running away. And when you do that, often you get to experience something valuable. You know, and as you pointed out, you stepped away from that and lost that opportunity mm-hmm. to have that experience. But it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to turn to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as awful as it was and as, you know, for all the regret that it piled on that I may never, you know, be able to come to terms with, it did definitely teach me that, you know, next time that I know there's going to be a situation like that, I'm going to dive in instead of trying to run away. Even when, you know, we, we got him cremated, you know, we had to go take his body and hand it over to the people and stuff. And that would have been a really easy situation for me to just slam a couple shooters and, and go in, you know, numb to the experience. But I, I made sure I was clear headed and took in every ounce of whatever I was feeling, mostly just terrible, sad shit. But I'm I'm glad at least I got to do that, you know, prepare him in a clear headspace that the a little bit of solace and, and it kind of just confirmed what you're saying of even the hard things. If you run into them head on and don't try and put some rose tinted glasses or some kind of veil of some kind of crutch, numb yourself to it. If you just run into something head on, I think you come out the other side feeling a lot better even though it you know shit sucks in the moment has that been one of the first times that you kind of dived into that or felt those feelings and in a long time i mean i would imagine years of using substances was probably i would i don't want to make assumptions but was to cover up those feelings oh yeah i mean especially death i mean my greatest fear by a country mile is losing somebody that I care about. And obviously I've lost a bunch of people, you know, all my grandparents, a bunch of friends over the years, but I was always pretty well numb to any loss. So I think losing Tim and I, to some people it might sound kind of melodramatic, you know, it's just a dog or, but I raised that guy. Mm -hmm. I had him half my life. So, uh, well, yeah, and he he witnessed, like you said, he yeah. witnessed half your life. He is definitely there for for the good and the bad, and as uh, my best friend. And I think just knowing that it was coming for so long, and like I said, dwelling on it, just I I spiraled myself out. It taught me also to not worry, and I know you shouldn't worry about the future. Live in the moment, you know, embrace life for what it is in the second that you're living in it but that can be really difficult to do when you know the end is coming it's like every time i would pet him or every time you know we'd go to the beach or something in the back of my mind there's always like this is great right now but how much longer time's ticking so i think it also taught me to firmly plant myself in the moment and just try not to worry about what you can't change another like cliche but it's true. You're a lot happier if you kind of just let what will be be and enjoy the time you got while you got it. 
I've noticed the same. That, you know, you said you're a lot happier if you let will be be in that. If you experience something, even if it's not a pleasant experience, as opposed to avoiding it, you're going to find not necessarily happiness, but you're going to find growth, which allows you the next time something like that happens, you're better equipped to respond to it, you know, mm-hmm. which ultimately like the more tools and, and things you have in your life, the better you're going to respond to situations that arises. And that makes it easier to have a happier life because you know how to handle situations that arise yeah you gotta we're not born with those kind of tools but you go through awful shit at least you can come out you know with another play for the playbook for later on i talked about this in the previous episode sometimes these tragic moments break us open and help us get to a new place i just want to put it out there that there's also the other side of this which is if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a tragedy. I believe that a hundred percent. My incarceration was really difficult for me. I, you know, I was went in like during COVID. I didn't get to see my children for three years. I, I saw one of them once and then COVID hit and you know, visits were banned. I saw my wife a couple of times, that was it. You know, I went through all that. I'm out now and I have some pretty awesome things that I'm working on with some pretty awesome people. Hopefully I can announce soon. I got some pretty cool plans, hopefully with Chesky that we can pull off. But um, the value I got when I was going through that difficult time, I'm seeing the same value now pursuing a positive thing. People seem to think sometimes that we can't get value unless we go through these negative experiences. And, you know, I don't want people to think, well, if I don't have an addiction or if I don't go to prison or if I don't have like this horrible thing, am I going to learn anything? And it's like, if your dream is big enough, you don't need that stuff, right? You can find those experiences pursuing something as that's meaningful. Yeah. That's definitely important to put out there that the idea of the tortured artist thing, I think I romanticized far too much when I was younger. And uh, because of it, I did kind of, not knowingly, but subconsciously, I think I put myself in some pretty compromising positions because I, there was this subconscious pursuit of pain because I thought that was like a necessary catalyst to create good art, but it's just not. Anytime I've ever written anything that I was really proud of, I was sober. I've never written anything good while I was drunk. I've taken notes, obviously, and stuff, but. Anytime I actually finish anything or create anything, I've been in a clear head space and I've felt, you know, relatively healthy. So I'd, I think the tortured artist thing, yeah, it can be a, kind of a dangerous uh, fallacy. Do the two of you have something that you look towards now that you're pursuing sobriety? If you're not turning towards substances, is there something else that you've found a value that you're looking towards to help you on that path? I have issues with goal setting. To be honest, I kind of like just go with whatever's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy doing that. So Mm -hmm. he definitely is a goal setter and accomplisher. That's not a word. (laughs) 
<laughs> might be, it might be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I having goals, having projects that you want to get done definitely helps. Having other healthy escape routes also helps a ton. We played a lot of video games in our spare time. That's a, a really easy way to get away from whatever's going on in your head for a second. Do you play together? When we can. There's a shameful lack of couch co-op games out these days. <laughs> you always have mm-hmm. to have like two consoles or play online or some of that shit. But yeah, we, we played some Baldur's Gate 3 together. That was pretty fun. He's my Soulsborne coach, so he'll sit and watch me and tell me how to navigate those games. Mm-hmm. So he has every Soulsborne map memorized. I wish I, my memory worked for useful shit. <laughs> well, it's useful, like like you said, if it's something else that's helping you turn away from you know negative behaviors. Yeah, definitely. If you're trying to stay sober, any sports or skateboarding or music art video games pets whatever you can find to keep your hands busy so you mentioned your dad before he um you said he picked up Polly mm-hmm. from the airport your dad if i'm not mistaken recorded a couple of your videos is that right mm-hmm. yep and he did a chad h george video and i think uh he did a, a video for years. yeah the original recording of wasted years seems like you have a pretty good relationship with your dad definitely uh both my parents and has that always been the case yeah i mean when i was a little shit teenager i was definitely a handful but the love is and respect has always been there and you know the older i get the closer closer we get and i'm incredibly lucky to have that no it's, it's definitely an awesome thing i I'm grateful that my relationship with my parents was intact, uh, especially when I got locked up. It's definitely a valuable asset to to have family to support me through that time. Yeah, it's interesting because, I don't know, there's kind of like this attitude often of like, and definitely like, you know, as a teenager, like you said, there's that kind of telling your parents to kind of fuck off attitude. and it definitely permeates through a certain aspect of the punk world as well. You know, this kind of like, I mean, maybe I, you know, there's definitely like within folk punk, I'm, I'm happy. Actually, it seems like it's definitely taken a turn since I was involved in the early two thousands to now. Um, there definitely seems to be a more emphasis on sobriety and healthy relationships or things that, you know, definitely come up more, which is interesting. And, and obviously I think a positive, but I'm always, I'm always excited when people have a good relationship with their parents. I have friends in bands and stuff who, I don't know, I'm always happy to meet their parents. It's always a nice thing like to go hang out with the parents when you're, when you're hanging out with someone on tour. Hell yeah. Yeah. My, my folks have housed up many a band at the Sunday house kids all sprawled out on the living room floor and sleeping bags and stuff. My dad loves to like cook people breakfast before they hit the road. They, my parents are just so en- entrenched in a lot of, at least the Houston scene. I feel like they go to more shows than we go to. We're about to get to see both my parents, which is very rare, maybe once a year. 
um, on tour. It's going to be fun. Where are you going to see them? My dad is in my hometown in North Bend, Washington. It's where they filmed Twin Peaks. It's very pretty. It's amazing to go mm-hmm. visit. Jesse loves it there. My mom is in jail in California. <laughs> you mentioned Twin Peaks. So one thing, like you, you know, you said that you were quick to say that in the relationship, when something needs attention, it's often you who brings it to attention. Uh, my wife has that in common with you. Another thing that she has in common with you is her love of the X Files. Uh, <laughs> that comes from my dad. <laughs> I'll come home and she'll be like binging the X Files. It's like her favorite show. What do you have to say about the X Files? Well, it's perfect timing because we're just talking about parents. And my dad was obsessed with the X Files, and I would sneak out and hide behind the couch and watch it with him without him knowing. (laughs) He kind of knew. He caught me a bunch of times, but um, I've been a huge fan of it since. Uh, I've rewatched it a bunch of times, especially the first three seasons. If you've never seen it, please watch it. It's perfect. Is the Giovanni or BC Jack Black episode in the first three? Season three, episode three stars Giovanni Rubisi <laughs> and Jack Black, and it is excellent. And the Vandals are in it. The Vandals play in that episode. Why were you so intrigued by the X Files back then and now? Um, I've always been into like weird, spooky stuff and aliens and cryptids and all that. I just I don't know, maybe it's where I'm from. I just like weird, creepy things. Yeah, the cryptids are interesting. I, I went through a phase where I was like super interested in, in cryptids for a while. <clears throat> You're definitely an X-Files expert more than I am. I'm trying to remember, did Mulder and Scully ever hook up? I remember there was like something going on. Was it in a show or in the movie? There was definitely hints of that, right? Yeah, spoiler alert. Turn this off. Skip forward 30 seconds. Yeah, they have a kid and stuff. It's a whole thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Wow. Yeah, it all happens in the movies. So they Mm -hmm. they do the will they or won't they for seasons and seasons. And then the movies is where the big stuff happens. Mm -hmm. All right. So would you guys be down to hang out for a few and just do a little talking on the back end of our podcast? Sure. We can end this here, and I would like to maybe dive into early days of music for you two. Right on. Cool. All right. Thank you. That that was a blast. You're like a really good interviewer. I'm like around it a lot because that's what my dad does. He has a podcast called Vinyl Voices where he has fans come through, and I've uh, kind of pick up on the interviewer nuances now after watching him do it for so long. And yeah, that was. Thank you for for keeping everything going and being so receptive and not asking boring questions and things. <laughs> well, yeah, no, thank you both for staying open to that. I appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you. Thanks for checking out this episode of Back in the Grind. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving us a rating or review on whatever platform you listen on. It'll help the podcast expand, reach more people and allow us to get more of the guests that you want to hear from. After this interview was done with Jesse and Veronica, I kept thinking of the Leonard Cohen song, Anthem. 
In that song, there's a line that perfectly describes the messiness and beauty that can be found in life. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That line resonated with me deeply since I heard it years ago. I hope through listening to this podcast and the stories that people have told on it, you can see how some of that light gets in. I hope it encourages you to allow that light to come through if you find yourself in a moment of darkness, a moment that cracked you open. There's certainly plenty of darkness out there, but I promise you if you look, you'll find that light. And if you follow light, it'll begin to lead you down a path towards a better place in your life. No matter what situation you find yourself in, there's always choices to be made that can improve it. It might not be an easy or clear-cut path. It might get messy along the way, but we can keep stepping in a better direction towards that light that is shining through. I hope the conversation we had today helps you see how that's possible. I'm rooting for you as you take those steps. Until next time, stay free. Hey, it's your host Pepe. You probably thought I was gone. If you're still listening, I want to let you know it's the first of the month. You know what that means. Time to check in for federal probation. Well, hopefully not for you, but for me, I got several years of that. Also on the first of the month, I'll be shipping out bags of coffee to all the folks who signed up for the Bandit Coffee Roasters subscription. You see, when I was locked up in federal prison, I came up with this idea to start a coffee roasting company. So I had people send me in magazines and books all about coffee and coffee roasting so I can learn. I realized that wasn't enough, though. So then I decided to write coffee roasters all around the country. Ten of them wrote back to me, and I started learning even more. And then, when I got out of prison, I reached out to a bunch of coffee roasters in my state. One responded, and I went to go meet him. With a federal ankle monitor strapped around my leg, I told him my story. How I got locked up for selling marijuana. How when I was in prison, I researched coffee and coffee roasting. I wrote coffee roasters. And now that I'm out, I wanted to get hands-on experience. I even told them I work for free, but they just helped me learn the process. So that's what I did. I spent months learning to roast coffee, not getting paid. But it was worth it, because now, here I am, able to roast coffee for folks like you. Heck, even Pat the Bunny's drinking coffee I roasted in the comfort of his home every day. So if you're interested in getting some good, organic, fair trade coffee, check out BanditCoffeeRoasters.com. There's a subscription offer where you can get free shipping and some additional bonuses from time to time. And you also get to know you're supporting the underdog. You're helping me with my comeback story as I return to my community, friends, and family after three years locked up in prison. So check out banditcoffeeroasters.com and see if there's anything that interests you. I've been planning this for years. Literally, I've been waiting for the moment when I'd be able to offer coffee to folks like you. It's been one hell of an adventure to get here, but I'm excited to say Bandit Coffee Roasters is available if you're interested. So again, check out BanditCoffeeRoasters.com. There's a link in the episode show note. I think you'll enjoy it because people like us drink coffee like this. Till next time, drink coffee and stay free. I put cream into his coffee and he looked at me so seriously. He said if anyone wants you to ask, you take the coffee black. If anyone should ask, if anyone should ask, you take this black.